Well, good morning, everyone. Jason, I appreciate you letting me letting me do this. And, uh, when he first asked me to give my testimony and to speak, my first question was, "How long have I got?" So, because I I can speak for hours on this subject, but I told him I promised I would not take more than the necessary time to do it. And I appreciate everybody being here after that game last night. And <laughs> I am a Georgia fan, so I'm, I'm here, but, uh, and I'm happy. There's more important things than games, thankfully. <laughs> and thank you to the Alabama fans for not being too, uh, to rubbing it in too much, Luke. But, <laughs> but um, so one thing I want to speak on today is just one of the most wonderful and exciting moments of my life was, of course, being converted to Christ. Um, I don't know how many of y'all know some of my testimony. I've got, had a chance to speak to some of you on it, but uh, most of us can, whether we can remember the exact moment, uh, the exact day, or whatever the case may be of when we were converted to Christ, sometimes we just remember a time period that it happened. Um, but it elicits, excite, elicits excitement in us, doesn't it? It's, it really makes us happy and excited to think about that time period. And that's the thing, the conversion or justification act is not cookie cutter. It's different with every person. Uh, even in the Bible, when we see people that were becoming Christians, uh, just look at the examples of Paul and Timothy. They had completely different. Paul had the Mount, the Mount Everest of conversion stories. He went from killing Christians to becoming a missionary, to becoming a Christian. Timothy, Paul says, was more, he, as a child, he knew the scriptures, he knew the holy writings. His conversion probably wasn't as dramatic as Paul's, but that doesn't mean that it was any less of a miracle. Each one of us, no matter what our conversion story or our testimony is, uh, it's all, every one of us is a miracle in, in God, uh, the miracle of God transforming us from a dead person to an alive person, uh, a child of God. Um, I've even heard some people tell me before, um, I've even heard some pastors say that they get kind of down about their testimony because it's not as flashy or as exciting as some others. They say, well, I was, I was saved when I was like six years old and I've never really had that worldly experience, you know, never had that I, did, I wasn't a drunk or a drug addict or anything like that. So they feel bad sometimes about their testimonies, but that's not the case. Again, we're every one of us being uh, saved by Christ, saved by God, is a, t is a miracle in itself. We should never forget that. It's a beautiful story of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the power of God's grace and his mercy in us, no matter what our testimony is. Uh, as we're told repeatedly in the Word of God from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Romans 5, 10, John 3, 36 even, before we were converted to Christ, before we became a son or daughter of God, um, we were enemies of God. Uh, he, he was wrathful with us. So that's a, that is a miracle in itself. We go from this wrathful, children of wrath, as Paul put it, and enemies of God to being a child of God. That's a miracle. Uh, my favorite two words in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God. 
It's, uh, and that's, that explains every one of our testimonies. We were dead, but God, rich in mercy, he came forward and rescued us from the dead, uh, resurrected us from the dead, and made us alive in Jesus Christ. And that's really the first part of true salvation. As we'll get into, there's really three parts of salvation. The first part of salvation is um, we're being saved from the penalty of sin. Um, that's what we're saved from. We're saved from not only the penalty of sin, but the wrath of God. Again, as we mentioned, God's wrath is upon us until we are saved and changed by him. And uh, the thing is, many will tell you, like even Paul Washer, Jonathan Edwards, several others, that they say well, we, they don't really know the day of their salvation, but they know when there was a change in them. They know that they once enjoyed sin and did just listen to Paul Washer's testimony. It's amazing. He, he talks about how he, you know, he was a drunk and just a, basically he'll tell you he was a terrible person. And then one day he just realized he wanted to serve Jesus Christ. And that was, that was the change in him. Um, R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary on the book of John, he said, it's not the profession that gets you into the kingdom. It's the possession. We must possess what we profess. He refers, of course, to faith. A profession of faith alone doesn't save us, and neither will knowing the precise moment of our faith, of when we came to Christ, save us. It's the actual faith through grace, as we discuss in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, just as Jesus Christ himself said, you will know true Christians from false Christians based on their fruits, by their works. Uh, so there will always be a change in someone when we do become a Christian. We can't have a run-in with the Holy Spirit without being forever changed. I love an illustration I love to use that Paul Washer again uh, mentions. Uh, he said, he told a congregation one time when he was coming to preach to them, he said, what if I told you on the way here I got, I was, my car, one of the tires of my car went flat on the interstate I was on the side of the road changing the tire, and the tire rolls away from me, so he had to run out into the road to get it. And he said while he was out in the middle of the road, a tractor-trailer truck slammed right into him, going 55, 65 miles an hour. He said, would you believe that? And they said, no, of course not. There would be evidence of him being hit by a tractor-trailer truck at 65 miles an hour. And he said, so why do we believe that you can be, have a run-in with the Holy Spirit and not be forever changed. And that's the, that, that's the point. The Holy Spirit changes us. So we will be changed. That's the second part of true salvation. We're saved from the power of sin. It no longer controls us anymore. Do we still sin? Yes, of course. But we see a change. We're transformed, as Romans chapter 2 says. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. So I've said all of this to lead into my own story of conversion or testimony. Again, I could spend days telling you about this, but this is going to be, as I say, the Reader's Digest version. Uh, just just the, the high points here. Uh, but again, I want to emphasize my testimony is not my testimony. As uh, we were discussing in Sunday school this morning, we're reading about Joseph it wasn't Joseph's story. Joseph wasn't the main character of his story. The main character is God. The main character is Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament. Same way with my testimony. 
it's, it's not about me. It's not about what I have done or what I continue to do or anything or even the things that I went through to get here. It's about what God did for me. It's about his grace, his mercy, his power, uh, his sovereignty. And you can truly see God's sovereignty throughout my testimony and probably everyone's here. Uh, it's also the story of true discipleship. That's one thing we're going to focus on this morning is true discipleship and how it is to be biblically done. I was discipled very well by some of my, some, some people in the church. So as many of you may already know, I was a Jehovah's Witness uh, from birth to uh, in my 30s. I was really deep into it. It was, it was my entire life. I was raised into a home that uh, my grandparents were the first Jehovah's Witnesses in Carroll County, um, started the Kingdom Hall there. Uh, so, I mean, it was, that was my life from birth on. Never celebrated Christmas or birthdays or anything, if you know about Jehovah's Witnesses. But that was, that was my life. I never questioned it back then because it was just all I knew. But because of being a Jehovah's Witness, one thing I will say about them, they learned the Bible. Uh, they may not apply the Bible. I mean, they may not know the meaning of it, but they do learn the Bible. I could quote any scripture you wanted to tell me back then and read the Bible front to back several times. Um, I was, even as a child, as a teenager, I became, I became a pioneer is what they call them, but it's basically what we would call a missionary. Uh, I was spending 120 hours a week or a month uh, doing door-to-door -door ministry knocking on people's doors. Uh, if y'all were in Bremen, I was, I may, may have knocked on your door at some point back then, and I apologize if I did. But, <laughs> but more likely in Carrollton is where I did most of my witnessing back then. But again, it was, it was my whole life. Uh, I became an elder for the witnesses when I was 25 years old. Um, I went around and spoke at conventions and places. It was just, it was all I did, all I knew back then. Uh, but sometime in my late 20s, I started having some doubts about what they were teaching. Like I said, I was reading the Bible from a young age, and what I was reading was not lining up with what they were teaching. I was starting to see some inconsistencies there, and I confronted the elders about it. Uh, I was an elder myself, but I, was con I confronted some of them and said, you know, what's, what does this mean, or why, why can't we do so-and-so, or whatever, and instead of ever giving me an answer, they would get angry because they would just say, we are not supposed to question the governing body. That's who controls the witnesses, this group of men in New York that basically says that they have divine inspiration and you have to understand, you have to apply everything they say to apply. You have to do whatever they say and you do not question them. So when I started questioning them, they started pushing me away little by little Eventually, they accused me of something I didn't do uh, just so they could get me out of the congregation. Um, I was completely cleared of this, the crime that they suggested that I did, but the damage was done. It was, uh, they, they disfellowshipped me, as they call it. That's basically uh, just shunning, shunning people that uh, your family, your friends, everybody has to quit talking to you. I couldn't talk to my family, friends, anyone. And again, this was all I knew for years. So no contact with any of, any of my family or friends from then on. But I say these things again, not to elicit 
sympathy or say, oh man, he had a tough life or whatever. I don't want that to be the point here. The point is God's sovereignty was at work in all of this. And we'll see that as we get go along here. I always come back to the scripture, Genesis chapter uh, Genesis 50. We'll be discussing that Sunday school probably next week of what, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. Back then when all this was happening, I was wondering how in the world can this turn out to be good? But eventually it did. But not yet. At that time period when I was disfellowshipped, I, do, I started, uh, I got really depressed, anxious, had really bad anxiety, uh, started drinking heavily, started doing drugs, anything to ease the pain of what I had went through. Uh, and this lasted for years. For many years, I did nothing but drink and lost jobs, lost relationships, lost homes, everything because of these things. And I remember you always hear about it, addicts and people with addictions having their rock bottom moment. I remember my rock bottom moment like it was yesterday, even though it was several years ago. I was sitting out in my car in the driveway in my, at my house and I was drunk and had a bottle of liquor in one hand and a bottle of pills in the other. And I was seriously contemplating taking both. And it was, uh, I didn't have, I didn't see any other way. I didn't see what the point of anything was at the time. Everything that I had learned as a Jehovah's Witness was false. And I didn't know where else to go. I was like, is the Bible, is the Bible really true? Because that's what I'd been taught. I remember praying there in the driveway there, God, what's the answer? If there's really truth, I don't see it. I need, I want to see it. You know, I want to see what this truth is. About that time, my cousin, Scott, uh, who is a missionary, some of you may know him, he's a missionary for Word of Life, um, but he, he texted me. I hadn't talked to him for a couple months at this point. Uh, he was always working on me a little bit throughout the years as a Jehovah's Witness. He was always working on me, trying to get me away from that cult. But that particular night, he just texted me and said, hey, you want to grab lunch tomorrow? And I remember sitting there and saying out loud to myself, I was like, God, is this, is this it? Is this what you're trying to tell me? You know, do I go to lunch with my Baptist cousin? And didn't know what, what he wanted, but I decided to go to lunch with him that day. He brought his Bible. We went to Moe's in Villarica. So Moe's still has a special place in my heart besides the fact that they have great food. But, <laughs> but he showed me from the Bible that day verses that I had read over and over again. But I remember him reading Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and saying how we were dead and how God made us alive. And then that we were saved by grace through faith, not of works. That was totally against everything I had learned as a Jehovah's Witness. As a Jehovah's Witness, it's all, all a checklist. You have, to, you have to do, do, do everything every day. And what I was seeing from the scriptures he read, it became so clear to me. It was like blinders had fell off of me. And that's why I, I say, you know, I always say that was the day. I know I was saved that day because I, these things that I was so blind to for so long, now I could see. And it was an amazing, amazing experience, of course. Um, and that was the thing I was, I learned about, uh, I slowly started learning about, you know, how I was depraved um, and how I was dead in my trespasses back then. 
and I could see the difference in what I was taught as a Jehovah's Witness and to what I was been, being taught then. Uh, God chose me. Uh, this is what blows my mind to this day. God knew every little thing that I was going to do, every stupid thing that I was ever going to do, and yet he chose me from before I was born. The, before the founding of the world, he chose me. And that's the case with every one of us that are Christians. He chose you knowing what you were going to do, and yet he still chose us to be his children. Um, the Holy Spirit start, began a work, just as Philippians 1 says, it began a work in me, which he continues to this day. This is, of course, sanctification. Uh, that ultimately leads to the final uh, stage of salvation, freedom from the presence of sin. That's when we go to glorification. Glorification in heaven with Jesus Christ. So again, this is when a lot of changes happened for me. And again, I emphasize it was not me, it was God. Uh, I quit drinking, quit smoking, quit doing drugs, quit hanging out with the same people that I was hanging out with for years, the bad association. Um, just as with the example of Joseph, uh, remember what, if you were here for Sunday school, Joseph, it wasn't anything that Joseph did that put him in the position he was in. It was God that did that because of his sovereignty. But one thing interesting that I noticed when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, at first I joined a Baptist church. I was there for six years before I started coming, six, over six years before I started coming here. Uh, I, I remember telling the pastor there, it's like, where's the evangelism? Where's the discipleship at? Again, I went from spending 120 hours a month knocking on people's doors to looking around and saying, hey, we're not doing anything in this church to disciple people. We're not, we're not evangelizing. We're not studying the Bible with people. And I knew that the, the witnesses were a cult. I knew that their teachings were wrong, but I also knew, I was like, these people are bold and zealous. They go out and the witnesses and Mormons and other, other religions like that they'll try they'll come up to you me and luke were at a having a bible study outside one day in bremen and these two mormons come up and start talking to us and wanting to witness to us and like man these people are zealous if they only had the truth you know if they only had the true doctrine but and that's how i felt about the witnesses i'm like man if we could get that zeal and that boldness into the true church uh we could be, reach so many people with it but um, I started realizing that while the church in America has the true gospel, we have the gospel, uh, we're just not sharing it as much as we should with anyone. As a church, many have forgotten the Great Commission. Um, this is, this is like a, I'd like to say sometimes the soapbox portion of my sermon, um, because we see so much of that in the church today. We're excited about what we learn and everything, but are we truly sharing it with others? Uh, I'm sure that you'd agree with the vast majority of the American church really have no idea how to disciple people. Uh, it's just something that's not taught as much as it should be anymore. I love this church because it is it is a disciple-making church. We're, I've seen growth since, we, since I've been coming here the last couple months, and I love it. It's wonderful. Um, but I've mentioned to several of you before, um, especially on Wednesday nights when we get to talking, 
about that there's a, uh, um, there's a documentary called American Gospel, uh, Christ Alone, that I suggest everybody watches because it really talks about what the American church has become. And, um, of course, it goes into detail about some of the, uh, the Word of Faith movement with some of these pastors that I won't mention names, but you know who I'm talking about. It's all about health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Um, but, yeah. But, uh, again, it goes in depth showing about people uh, that are, have the false assumption that they're truly Christians, for one thing. And coming from a church that believes, uh, again, it's quoting Paul Washer here, that believes that a magic prayer can save you, then if you raise your hand, you're saved and come forward and all of this, it's, it's all puts works upon us rather than it is God's grace and his mercy. It's a works-based salvation. Um, there's a quote that's in that documentary that I like to use because it just shows us how much even other people can see this. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of uh, Penn Jillette. He's a, if you've heard of Penn and Teller, the magicians, he's, a, he's an atheist. Um, and he, he, did a, he said a quote here that just really hit home with me when I heard it. And this is in that documentary. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who's just, who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck, if I believed that it beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. This is more important than that. This is an atheist saying this. He's like, why, why, if you really believe what you're, what you're saying you believe, why don't you tell more people about it? And that's the thing. We know that God is sovereign. We know that... He has chosen his elect from the founding of the world. That's, that's, and it's a comforting thing. It's a great thing that we know that. But does that mean that we shouldn't still boldly and zealously fulfill the Great Commission? Uh, remember Jesus' words. Remember the Great Commission, what he says there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, the words preceding Jesus' commission. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. He then went on to say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus gave that commission to the church, he was speaking authoritatively. It was a command from him. He gave a mandate to the church of all ages, not simply to evangelize, but to make disciples. Now that leads to the question, what is discipleship? What is, what is a disciple? People misunderstand what discipleship is, and I did myself for years. That's why with my testimony, my, my cousin and a, another brother from the church that I was going to at the time really took the time to disciple me. They would take me out to lunch all the time and, and just, as we like to say, do life with one another. Uh, Discipling is not just about sharing the scriptures. It's about going alongside someone and showing them this is the way Christianity works. This is how we should be. Um, we like, in, in our uh, ministry, our new creation ministries, we've 
had a definition of discipleship that we like to use. Uh, we say it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive to build relationships with the goal of leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus for the purpose of sharing the good news to the world. And that's, we emphasize that, the all of life. Again, it's not just inviting someone to church on Sunday, which is great, but we come alongside these people and disciple them. Uh, we, we strive to remember Jesus. Again, the perfect example is Jesus Christ. When he made a disciple, when he, when he had someone that he chose to be one of his disciples, I mean, he basically lived with them for three and a half years. They were on the road together. They, they slept on, on the ground together. I mean, they were... Uh, they were right there together for those three and a half years. And he tells us the same thing um, when he tells his disciples. Remember, he, took, he sent his uh, 70 disciples out to preach, sent them out two by two and said, you know, go stay in people's homes, disciple them, give them what to say and do or show them what, what the Bible says for them. Uh, that's real discipleship. That's uh, that's uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you are doing, whatever, work at it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Uh, it's Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. It's all of our life. It encompasses everything. Um, so just a bit as we conclude, sorry, again, I'm going to go a little over, I think, but uh, just a bit of a self-evaluation, and trust me, this is just as much for me uh, as I've heard preachers say before. This, you know, I get this before you do. Before I preach, God, God shows me this before I say it to you. But so this self-evaluation, you know, just how much do we share the gospel with others? Um, when was the last time we shared the gospel with a stranger? When was the last time we shared the gospel with some of our friends or family? You children that go to public school or private school or whatever, when was the last time you shared the gospel with one of your classmates? You know, that's, that's a command. It's, it's our uh, job to do so. Uh, I've used this quote from Charles Spurgeon before, and it either angers you or fires you up. He says, most quotes from Charles Spurgeon will do. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I've had some churches that I've said that at say, what do you mean by that? You know, get all upset. But it's true. We're all missionaries. Whether we're a full-time missionary getting support from others or not, we're missionaries. Uh, we're supposed to be out there evangelizing and making disciples. Um, and just in conclusion, one of the, a quote from R.C. Sproul, I think, said it perfectly, as he tends to do. But he was speaking of the Great Commission. He said, The Great Commission is the call of Christ for his disciples to extend his authority over the whole world. We are to share the gospel with everyone so that more and more people might call him master. This calling is not simply a call to evangelism. It isn't merely a call to get members for our churches. Rather, Christ calls us to make disciples. Disciples are people who have wholeheartedly committed to follow the thinking and conduct of the master. Such discipleship is a lifelong experience of learning the mind of Christ and following the will of Christ, submitting ourselves in full obedience to his lordship. Thus, when Jesus tells us to go to all nations, we are to go into all the earth with his agenda, not our own. The Great Commission calls us to work with other believers in the church in order to produce disciples and flood the world with knowledgeable, articulate Christians who worship God 
and follow Jesus Christ passionately? Do we have that passion and that boldness for Jesus Christ? Um, I made the remark last night uh, to my dad. My dad lives with me, and we were watching the, the game. And after the game, I was looking on social media and saw all the posts about Georgia and Alabama and football and just everything. And I just, um, first thing came to my mind, I said, man, what if Christians got as passionate and excited about sharing the gospel with other people as we do about college football? In the South, I mean, that's, a lot of people say, now you're meddling. But <laughs> that, in the South, that's, we love college football. We do. I love my Bulldogs. But what if we got that excited about sharing the gospel with somebody or about discipling someone? Seeing someone come to Jesus Christ or, and grow, seeing someone get excited for Christ and uh, growing in their relationship with him is so much more wonderful than seeing a national championship. I made the, made the remark several times that waited my whole life for Georgia to win a national championship and then they won two in a row and the Braves won one and everything. is like, well, how did my life change? It, it didn't change my life one bit. Uh, and it, it's true. We get so excited about these menial things, and yet they really don't matter in, in the grand scheme of things. But this discipleship and sharing the gospel with others does. It has a lasting effect forever. Well, I thank you for allowing me to preach. Uh, let's conclude with prayer and then turn it over to Jason. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this privilege of sharing the gospel this morning at, uh, at this wonderful church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for these friends that I've that I've made here, Lord, and just the uh, the, the wonderful privilege of serving you and uh, together as a group of your servants, as a group of your children. Uh, we ask that you please help us to be more excited, be more bold, be zealous about sharing the gospel with others to be Great Commission Christians, uh, knowing that you are sovereign, that you, knowing that you are in complete control, Lord, we can have faith and we can have the uh, 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 faith and joy in our ministry, Lord. Thank you for all things, our grace, your grace, your mercy for salvation. Uh, we leave this day in your care, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Yes. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. One of the sharing today, and uh, one is, I think it's uh, sometimes we just tend to forget, myself included, that God really does save all kinds of people, not just the people from the backgrounds we're used to. Uh, and I have a tendency to look at people sometimes and think, you know, they're they're just in my mind. I wouldn't say this, but I think they're they're lost. They're never going to be saved. And I look at Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and. All kinds of people are just pagans, and I have a tendency to think that way, and it's sinful and wrong, and sometimes good for us just to hear, that, hey, you know what, God saves all kinds of people. And the other thing I just wanted uh, to point out, I love, I love his testimony. His testimony is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. But a good reminder of this, Jeremy wasn't saved from the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses. His testimony is the same as all of us. He was saved from the power of sin, the wrath of God, the, the fires of hell. And that's what we need to be reminded of, I think, more than anything. Hey, we're all saved from the same problem. 
You know, his problem wasn't Jehovah's Witness. That's where God had him born. He couldn't choose that. But through that, um, God had a purpose uh, of saving him. And that's the amazing thing. And I just wanted you to, I wanted our church to hear that. And I appreciate you um, tying that into just all the good things that God has brought to your life. And just the power of that testimony is awesome. That uh, right, right when you were about to, when you thought there was no purpose for you. And uh, God said, oh yeah, I got a purpose for you since before I formed you in your mother's womb and even before that. So glory for that and I appreciate it very much.